Before we kick off, we need to quickly give you a fair warning. What's that, Sean? This pod might contain some naughty words. It's uncut and since we're just chatting with people in a relaxed and honest way, there's a chance. There is a chance. This show's 99% clean. But every now and again, one of us gets excited and a word escapes our mouth, right? Exactly. So if you're listening to this on your morning school run, I'd probably switch to the Turning Points podcast for a little life perspective. Uh, the chief, our much-loved friend Teppo Machilla, with the cute smile. His God pod will keep you and your kids in check. You're logged in to 168 FM and listening to Business Analysts on the Ground, the podcast that brings you dope conversations about everyday business analysis. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 with me, Joe. Me, Jean. And me, Hester. That's Hester. Hester Swart. Hester's a BI specialist at Intersect. She's got a strong background in research, but she prefers the power of storytelling over purely scientific analysis, something I can definitely relate to. It's great having you on the show. Welcome, Esther. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here, Hester. Thank you. Um, science and stories, hey, what a great combination that is. Um, but perhaps to get our conversation started, can you give us a little bit of the lowdown on the background of Hester Swart? So where did you grow up? What was that like for you? Did you go to varsity? And what are you up to these days? Yeah, sure. So I was I was born in Namibia, um, the capital city, but I was not raised in Vintic. I was raised in a small town called Gebabes. Um, yes, it does exist, um, or also known as cattle country. Um, we lived on a farm. Um, I've got an older brother. And then we moved to town. And then after that, my mom and dad, they really wanted us to go to high school in South Africa. The reason for that was to actually go and study at Stellenbosch. So my brother and I, we started high school um, in South Africa. Um, my brother was in Polaris and I was in Girls Eye. Um, I always looked up to my brother. Um, he was a motivation for me. And the time came to actually decide what do we want to do when we grew up. Like a typical girl, I decided I want to go in, be a lawyer, legally blonde. Um, <laughs> but that didn't last too long. Um, I still like pink a lot. But if we started realizing if I start putting like a little white, tell a little white lie, I actually start to giggle. So we soon realized that that's not the career for me. Um, and I started to get a, get more interested in, in maths and science. Um, I found in, in high school, I found it fascinating engineering drawings, um, specifically the machine drawings. Um, I think partially that was my brother was studying mechanical engineering. So I enrolled for mechanical engineering, did my aptitude test. They said, no, you're too soft of, of a person to your personality is too soft to go into mechanical. Why don't you try industrial engineering? <laughs> so yes, so the very ambitious, legally blonde, um, went and studied industrial engineering um, at Stellenbosch University, got my degree. Um, I wanna say in my third year, I actually only realized what an, an industrial engineer does. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, that was from vacation work. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to get a get a get a job directly after varsity um, in a consulting. So that's just yeah, a little bit about me. Okay, nice. all right, that's that's quite the journey, eh? From Namibia to industrial engineering. Yeah, okay. So so tell us about that first consulting job. What sort of position did you land up in? So the consulting company that I joined was mainly focused on industrial engineers. Um, they were focusing on your traditional um, industrial problems like um, transport and mining. Um, but when I joined the company, they were focusing on labs. So improving the processes in labs. So I did a lot of process mapping and simulation, workforce analysis, and um, I traveled a lot. It was very nice. I, I went to... Um, Seattle and then London as well, um, just to get like get a bit of like industry um, international experience. Um, but I, I stayed with that company for two years, and then I started realizing I'm very interested in data. Um, yeah, so actually after the consulting company, I joined Devil Speak. Oh, that's amazing! That's cool, Seattle. Um, I can I can relate my <laughs> my current reporting lines are into Seattle and uh, it makes for interesting times as we know since we're sitting on this pretty late. Um, it's a uh, so Joe Joe jumps into the job. I uh, I latch onto the farm life because uh, I can relate having uh, grown up on a on a farm myself. Um, you mentioned uh, you sort of mentioned uh, that space and you know how you looked up to your brother. Are there are there any um, I want to say like tidbits or um, traditions or things that you remember fondly from those days that's sort of still part of you? Um, I want to say my brother and I are very close. Um, some people would say that we sometimes look like a couple when we like walk next to each <laughs> other. Like we'll, he'll like take me around the neck and then he would like to call me and stuff. Um, so we're very nice. fond of each other. Um, but one thing that, Still stays with me is just the way he calls me if he's being um I want to say Mutzbelech. Um he has this <laughs> way of just like being irritating but being very nice. Um and he always calls me Chessy, um, just as a Sabiki of a making peace. Um okay. yeah. so if oh, I know if cool. he starts with Chessy, then I know what have you done? What do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome. I love that. Um, it's it's actually cool, you know. It, it sort of it it's it sets the tone nicely, actually, for for just sort of the season that we we have. As you know, um, you know the the idea for the season is is lifestyle. So we're digging into you know just everyday things, everyday people, uh, the sort of stuff where you don't really think about it. I mean, it's these industries that go past us and we engage with, or we you know we encounter every day, but we don't really think about the sort of the gears and the stuff that goes on with. Um, mm -hmm. on with that in the in the background so I mean obviously you've recently you know joined Intersec but um, you know prior to that I know you were running the um, the BI game uh, you mentioned it briefly at a at a favorite and uh, listeners won't see this but I am holding up a, a very nice devil's peak beer um, yeah that I mean that's that's completely different you want to tell us a little bit how um, you know how you came to love the smell of slightly uh, sour fermentation um, no, definitely. Um, so I I remember going into Devil's Peak and thinking, like, I don't actually drink beer. Um, I always I always thought a beer was like a man's drink. And I remember when I went into the to the interview, um, when I stopped at the brewery, I could smell the beer. And I was like, yo, how can you work here? Um, 
But I walked in, I had my interview. Um, I honestly did not think I would get the job, to be honest. Um, but I told myself, I'm going to take this as a life experience. Um, and I think the fact that I took it so lightly, I was very confident. Um, and I remember walking in and speaking to, um, to the two um, MDs who were um, basically um, doing the interview. And they would ask me questions of, if we would give you something to type, would you type it? And I told them, yes, I would type it. But if you give me 30 minutes, I'll spend... 20 minutes on actually trying to improve the system of not typing it was because you don't want to work manually. And then if I do not get a solution, I'll spend 10 minutes on typing it. Um, nice. And I, that was like my pull through um, in actually getting, not getting the position I wanted to apply for, but actually joining Devil Speak. Um, and they said that was, the, that was like the pull through question was just actually thinking out of the box. Um, so yeah, so I joined Devil Speak um, in a bit of an operational space. Um, so I got appointed by the director of, um, of um, operations. And my, my position nice. was to help improve processes in planning when to brew what and how, um, what the volume should be um, in which um, ferment, um, AV, fermenting vessel, the, mm -hmm. the beer should go just to um, ensure. So that's also like a traditional industrial engineering problem. Um, and the MD of operations was also an industrial engineer. So it was actually, nice. it was fun to kind of share those different <laughs> thinking. Um, but then soon the MD of sales started realizing that Hester likes data. Um, so then he kind of snatched me from the MD of operations. So it was actually, it, it was very nice because in Devil Speak, there wasn't any reporting structure um, and we started moving into like big data and the whole discussion of big data. Um, and the director of sales, he was also very keen on understanding that you need to kind of be at the front end um, of technology to kind of leverage um, and make better decisions. So he was very um, excited to start a whole reporting department at DevilSpeak. So that's how I kind of got into the reporting and BI space. It's really oh, interesting cool, listening cool to you, story. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's and it, and it, and it's funny. I always look for the patterns of things, and to hear yeah. you know your story at the beginning about talking about sort of interested in in industrial engineering and maths and sort of information and that sort of thing, and then your initial two years industrial engineering but it's still process mapping it's still optimization it's still streamlining and all these mm. transferable skills that you're sort of learning along the way lead you mm. to this role at devil's peak where you can sort of bring them all together i mean it, it's so serendipitous really and and i think what i'd like to know i mean like let, let's get to the heart of the matter here how does <laughs> a ba at the Devil's Peak Brewery, what do they do to get that beer in Jean's hand? Um, what sort of things are you planning and looking at? Uh, so actually, that's that's a very good question. Um, but so something that I've been dabbling in a bit um, at Devil's Peak is also the marketing side of um, of uh, of a product. Um, and I've, I've it's actually. I want to say the marketing department is sometimes underrated. Um, and I want to say it kind of starts there. Oh, yeah. So for a consumer to actually know of the product, it needs to be marketed correctly. So firstly, you need to kind of get, get your product known. So um, I want to say that's kind of the first step is make sure that your product is known, um, making sure that you are marketing to the right audience. Um, 
So that I feel that's also part of um, the BIA's role is to make sure that that information is carried out to the correct stakeholders and that information can be used to run campaigns. So solid. So, so we have our audience. Our audience is quite keen to get the beer. Now, where can you get the beer? So obviously, we need to make sure that we actually have uh, stock in, in the different outlets, either it be through a distributor or through a retailer. Um, so it's very important that you plan that the beer is actually <laughs> brewed and it spends enough time in the heavy vessels and also that there is enough, um, I want to say, dry goods, bottles and caps. So the, the business analyst would actually make sure that um, firstly, the demand is met. The last thing you want is to excite someone and not actually being able to give them what they want. Um, nice. Specifically in a craft industry, you need to make sure that you, you meet those needs um, because it's, it's a very niche market. Um, mm. So if you actually lose that consumer, the chances are that them coming back to you is very slim because also there's a lot of craft breweries in um, South Africa. Yeah. Um, so you really need to maintain them. So it's kind of like still, it's exciting, so but cool. keeping the, the I want to say, making sure that you meet their demand. Yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. <laughs> it is cool. And I, I enjoy marketing as well. I think it's a, a wonderful psychological subject you know how how you can move things forward with people and just connecting a few dots um i mean we've had a pre-chat on this show too so i'm going to bring in some information from that but like you said at the beginning you you walked into the building you sniffed the air and you went oh my gosh how can people work here and there's this perception mm -hmm. that beer is a man's drink and I look at the Devil's Peak range now and there's obviously the non-alcoholic and within the non-alcoholic range we've got citrus we've got grapefruit and it's almost like we've got beer for personas now you know sort of mm. bringing that marketing in so is it a case of developing a beer and finding a market or is it sort of seeing a gap in the market and developing a beer to um to fill it so actually, um, interesting story. So the Zero Tierra grapefruit, um, so the main brewer, he actually got, um, I want to say the syrup for the grapefruits and he tasted it with the Zero Tierra. And it was actually just a, a, like a once off production for the staff. And literally the beer was so great, um, staff bought all of it. Um, and then obviously we started sharing it with our family and everyone, and then we actually wanted more. Um, so then they actually decided to, to produce more. So specifically the, the Zero Tierra grapefruit, which is the pink one, um, I actually shared with a lot of my, my pregnant friends um, because they also, they said that it's nice. unfair for their husband to enjoy a beer and they can't enjoy a beer. So I was like, but hello, I've got a solution for you. <laughs> so I introduced them to the, to the grapefruit. Um, and I also think, so with the, I want to say it, they saw a gap um, and specifically, it's not just a non-alcoholic, but it's also a beer that's low in calories. So it's kind of like for your fitness okay. person, but also for your, um, your, your hero, your unrated hero, because if you go out, you can, you are the hero because you are the sober one driving everyone home. So that's kind mm. of the thinking behind the name of Zero Tierra. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, uh, the, the interesting thing is like, I mean, as we're speaking to the stuff as I'm getting excited because it's uh, there's a lot of product stuff in this, right? 
Um, <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's customer funnel. Like a lot of the, mm. I think a lot of the, the mentions you made about marketing and that sort of thing, you think about the customer funnel, you know, awareness, consideration, conversion. Now you've got loyalty, right? Now you've mm. got them in there. How do you keep mm. them? You know, how do you, how do you get people to then sort of advocate for you or, you know, spread your brand? Um, mm. And I think, it, it's interesting if you if you suddenly look behind the curtain where you know there's people like Hester and you know Hester's friends, business analysts, BIs, all these you know different cogs in this wheel turning that. It's suddenly a different way that you look at it. Um, mm. You know the way you you spoke about uh, and Joe spoke about product market fit. Um, I'm I'm also thinking about I want to don't want to use the word but I'll use it monopolization. Um, you think about the way, uh, you know, I've seen Devil Speak do business, a partnership with um, the tap room for those in Cape Town, you know, a nice restaurant set up. Um, and it's almost like you've got this thing and it works. And then you start building on top of that, you know, figuring out how you can get into different segments, different markets. Um, hmm. Super interesting. Uh, it's, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought FinTech was cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, like with beer, it's who doesn't like a nice cold beer? Um I remember my my first beer I ever had was um, I went to a conference in um, Paris, uh, South Africa, um, and it was really super, super hot. Um, and I was just the only thing that was cold in the restaurant was a beer. And then I remember like I was with my fiance and he said, just try it out. Just just have a sip. And it was the most like refreshing and cooling thing. Like you could feel it like your body inside cooling to the outside. Um and that, I think if like, if, if you can just have like a nice cold beer on a hot day, like, yeah, then life's yes. good. Yeah. You're making me very thirsty now. Actually, I wish I'd um, <laughs> brought one through for this, but, um, and, and sort of following on from what Jean said a bit, you know, saying like, we're, we're always looking to expand things. We're always looking to do more, to find new avenues. Um, I suppose in our line of work, in the, in a sort of BA game, there's always something to do, right? There's always lots to do, actually. And often we sort of, we get a lot put on our plate, but I think sometimes it's about saying no rather than saying mm. yes to any uh, to everything. So what are some of the things, what sort of tips have you got to, to, to try and avoid um, getting overwhelmed and to make sure you stay focused on the important things? Mm. So um, I want to say with my industrial engineering background, you sometimes get placed in you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. So you kind of everyone expects of you to be able to do anything. Um, and I want to say you kind of I kind of dragged that with um, when I came a bit more into the business um, analyst role. So what I've found to work for me specifically um, to stay focused is to engage a lot more with my with my stakeholders. Um, to make sure that we have that connection, make sure we both have a common goal. Um, and but we, we take it bit by bit. Um, should, it's, it's always awesome to plan for the ideal state and gun for the ideal state, but it's not always feasible. So literally breaking it down into biteable sizes, I want to say. Um, and also just just being excited with, I want to say, the, the stakeholder about where you want to go. Um, if you're passionate and excited of the end result, then you will stay motivated firstly. And then secondly, you will go the extra mile. That's awesome. That's a, that's a great answer. Um, I, I, I want to I latch onto something that you started that answer with uh, about the, the generalist. 
Um, it's something that I've seen and, and heard people speak about a lot more in the industry. Um, and, and Joe, I'm sure you can attest to this. I, I remember a couple of conversations we've had about it. Um, I think there's a, I recently, not recently, a couple of months ago, read a book. I think it's by, I want to say, David Epstein, uh, might be mistaken, called Range, um, which sort of speaks to this idea. Um, and the interesting thing about it, the way you connected that about, you know, sort of managing stakeholders and, you know, working differently. The, the thing that I, that I remember from that book is that he speaks to this idea of just a vast skill set, right? Um, your exposure to different industries. And I mean, you've spoken about just your background in industrial engineering, growing up on the farm, being exposed to different things, working in what I consider a bit of a different niche industry. Um, mm. Those things almost give you these very special perspectives. Um, mm. And it allows you to have a, a much wider range of uh, mechanisms and skills and things um, that allow you to say no, cope with stress, you know, whatever you call it. Um, mm. Whereas I think sometimes, and, and I'm, I mean, this is not me dissing specialist roles, um, but I think sometimes when you're working in only one specific channel, one specific sort of frame of mind, um, you only have a very limited set of things that you can use. Um, mm. And I, I think I think that's really cool. Um, so would you say that it's it's sort of communication um, generally for you? Um, is that like a, is it a strong suit? I mean, we've like Joe said, we've spoken a little bit before, and um, you know we we've engaged prior to this conversation, and you come across as like really easygoing, you know, like super comfortable with people. Um, mm. Would you say that's something that that's sort of? I have a couple of good friends in Namibia. Is that something that you've brought? from your past that's just always been there is, is it is it a bit of a differentiator in in, uh, in your space um oh that's difficult um to be honest i think if you have to be excited um with with someone to kind of get them i want to say involved um so i think Amen. It's, oh, it's, it's it's difficult um that's cool. There's no right answer. Just, I mean, yeah. I just it, it hit me like you. You are quite excitable, and I mean, I can imagine like if you're coming to me with a specific solution or like some ideas, I'd be much more open to that than you know, I guess someone approaching me in a in a more discreet manner or like more I don't know, super formal manner. That's, that's yeah. maybe just me. <laughs> I so so on that point, I'm I must be honest. There's a bit of a, a stereotyping about um, being in a bit of a technical role. A lot of people think that um, being a technical person that you you struggle to to carry a conversation or actually engage in a conversation. Um, but what I found is, if you are technical and you can carry a conversation, if you can literally just bond in a sense or create a relationship with a person your discussion of where you want to go is just going to be so much easier. The way you engage is just going to be so much easier. So I, I believe in actually building a, building a, a solid relationship. Um, and it, it doesn't always just have to be with your stakeholders, but also with your colleagues. Um, as soon as you've got a, a solid foundation there, you actually as a team work a lot better and a lot um, cohesive together. Um, and also... <laughs> Being, being very curious and being excited about learning more, you actually engage with different departments. Um, and then yeah. you can actually also start learning from different departments. So that's how I actually got involved in, in the marketing space is I was curious of what the marketing team was doing. Um, I was, when a new shirt got printed or brought in, I would always ask, but why did you pick that font or why did you use that size or that color? Um, and then they would explain it to me and then you would pose a question, but why did you not maybe consider um, a V-neck instead of uh, a round neck? Um, um, 
But I think just being that curious and climbing, and you actually, as a like you said, you gain a lot more knowledge, but also you build a relationship. So if someone has a problem, they'll come to you. And that problem actually creates an opportunity for you to learn a new industry. So for me, it wasn't just learning from the alcohol industry, but also now learning from, uh, from marketing. Um, so yeah, I think as a, as a BI, it's very crucial that you need to be able to, to have effective communication. Yeah, and, and um, you used the word at the end there, which you you were sort of just hinting at the whole time, which is curiosity, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> what's going on over there? I'm I'm keen to yeah. know, and um, and if you bring that sort of energy with to, to people, you know, with a real sort of authentic sort of desire to know more, to help more, mm. then then it's easy to get excited and to build that rapport with people. Mm. Um, I'm sort of going to ask a bit of a tricky question now. It's possibly a bit unfair and you might not have an answer for this, but I'm sure you've had some <laughs> tricky moments with stakeholders too. I'm sure it hasn't always been exciting and always mm. hasn't gone well. Do you perhaps have um, a story or a lesson you can share with us uh, of a time that sort of grew you up a little bit in terms of this stuff? So... Like, like John said that I'm a very, like, um, I want to say a, a happy person in a sense. And sometimes I can be mistaken as potentially being too excited about something. Um, so what I learned <laughs> very early in my life is kind of you need to manage expectations. So I would be very excited about a solution um, and then potentially would not always get that ideal solution. And then your stakeholder was excited with you to get that solution, but you don't get there. And then at the end, it also it, it takes a toll on your relationship and also um, just for future work, that's not great. So I, I had to learn to kind of tone it down a bit um to be excited but also to manage expectations um yeah. and i learned that in my very very first job um when i was working um uh with the lab in in seattle actually um where i was also very excited um starbucks seattle yeah um i was very excited but also the outcomes of the project wasn't what we initially gunned for um and we we, we came up with a good solution but I felt a bit disappointed in myself that um, I couldn't achieve the the full uh, solution that we wanted to go for. So, yeah, managing expectations is it's something that I learned very very early in my life. It's besides yeah. communication, that's that's something you have to manage, isn't it? And you're right. I mean, I think we've probably all had moments like that where, sort of, you know, in the excitement of the project at the beginning, we can sort of mm. dream something perhaps a bit bigger and a bit better than than what it's going to be in the end and sure that always leaves a sort of um i suppose it's over promise and then under delivering isn't yeah. it you know so it's it's important yeah. to get that the right way around mm. yeah but but also on that note so one thing that i learned it's it's sometimes better to undersell it a bit so you rather want to deliver over deliver than under deliver mm. so that's kind of i want to say my my jack and um my jack card is just to have like a, a bit of like a, a surprise when i deliver my my end results okay. cherry on top <laughs> yeah <laughs> love it uh it's it's interesting you i mean there's a there's so many layers in there and and some of the stuff you 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 mentioned there um i mean your i want to say passion or your immediate space now is is data um, something I've come to both love and hate um, at, uh, at AWS. It's a very data-driven organization, um, but it also moves at like lightning speed. 
Um, how do you how do you continue to sort of learn and stay ahead of the curve? Um, you know, when I when I have uh, these offline conversations with PAs these days, um, those are the words you hear the most, right? Um, it's mm -hmm. either data security or like some form of um, you know data driven machine learning or artificial mm -hmm. intelligence. Like, what's your sort of you know secret to staying ahead of the curve? Um, so I've got different, I want to say, sources that I use. Um, so one of them is actually listening to podcasts. Um, I'm currently, um, I'm moving from, from the phase of um, storytelling to a bit more becoming, um, like a bit more managing. So there was a, nice. I want to say, a, two months ago, I was very, I want to say, very formed and very strict at listening, like what is data storytelling? Um, what is the, the value of actually having data? Why do you want to visualize data? What is the value of that data? You don't just visualize data because you have it or you have a tool that does it for you. There has to be value, you have to answer a question. So that was kind of my, my um, aim that I was, my question that I was trying to answer is um, what is the value? Um, so the sources that I use, like I said, is podcast. Um, this might seem very stupid, but I, I actually, I, I go through Pinterest um, and then I would have keywords and then that will direct me to different um, websites. So that's kind of like my, my hidden secret is something nice. just to grab my eye. I'm a very visual person. So going on Pinterest, putting in a keyword, potentially data storytelling. Yep, Pinterest does have some hits for that. Um, just also managing teams, which is something I'm very interested in um, lately also. Um, and also just carrying that, that message over to your team. Um, another thing that I use is um, I'm very, I'm, I'm also very big on, <laughs> on YouTube. Um, there are a few main, um, I wanna say key, key bloggers that I, that I follow. And then also lastly, um, I still have a lot of, I wanna say connections with the university. So my fiance is also very big in machine learning. Um, so we will typically have some very in deep discussions. Um, about his work and about my work. So nice. it's, it's actually, it's, it's nice because we, we build up each other like that and um, with him a bit more academic and with a bit, with me a bit more, I want to say realistic and industry. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I must say, I am adding that to my list, Pinterest. I am forever giving my wife a stick for, for yeah. sitting on Pinterest because it usually means I have to put something up on the wall. Um, but maybe, maybe there's been uh, there's been uh, something I've missed all along. Yeah. He's going to enjoy listening to that bit, isn't he? Where you say the, I'm the more realistic one. Um, <laughs> I, I just want to switch back to 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 a, a step or two ago, where where you were talking about understanding the value that you play um, and that you can give, and I mean that that's critical, right? Because often we can probably do more than we're allowed to do. You know, we, we, we can want a bit more rope than we've been officially given. It doesn't mean we can't take the rope, but, you know, mm -hmm. as far as the sort of the definition or the box that we've been put in, you know, we, we've got a place to, to play. And I'm wondering, as much as you know your own value, um, as business analysts, and there are, I mean, there are tens of different versions of business analysts, right, depending on which organisation, you're in but do you feel that your stakeholders understand the value that you can play does it align with the value that you believe you can play so so currently in um with with intersect um 
the, the BI team was fairly new. Um, so actually to show the value of data um, was something that we needed to present. Um, but I wanna say this was actually, presenting that to the organization was actually, it, it presented itself. Um, just being able to see history and be able to see a trend basically sold itself. Um, I must say though, so sometimes you overvalue yourself and then you kind of need to just sit down and be like, you know what, it's, it's not about you, it's about the organization and where the organization goes. So I wanna say sometimes you need to be very careful and not, um, I wanna say just blow up your bubble too, too much um, and just not overshoot your value, but actually understand what your position is. And I kind of feel if you if you understand your role and your role in the organization, you kind of get your value, you understand your value. And then as soon as you get, you understand your value, you are so much better in actually presenting that value. Um, you understand where you fit in, which puzzle piece you are in the organization and presenting that, um, what you can bring. Um, you might sometimes feel that you're in a box, but you also get that opportunities where you can show, but listen, I can actually extend my wings outside of the box. You just need to seek that opportunity and just um, stay motivated to, to still present it and not become demotivated if you don't get that in your first week at the new job or your second week. Um, but it, it will come around. You just need to stay focused. That's awesome. That's good advice, Ed, right? Um, I think it's, an, it's, an, it's a good balance to strike and, and, and almost sort of goes back to something you said before, expectations management, but it's also it's sort of with yourself. Um, I think that self-awareness is super important because it's from that position that you can function in strength, right? If you understand, if you understand your value and the things you're good at and you understand your growth areas, um, it sort of allows you to know where you can go and, you know, how you can grow outside of that. Um, and I think it's also, a, um, you spoke a little bit about leadership and, uh, you know, sort of management. Um, I, I, I assumed that you, you meant leadership in terms of team roles. And I think that has a massive value when, People around you see that you have that self-awareness and they know that you know who you are. Um, so mm. that's that's amazing. Value, dope, super cool. Yeah. Now, also, I also think um, one big thing um, as a leader is you, you kind of need to motivate your team. Um, when you feel your team is maybe struggling and they sometimes might feel that the company or organization is not seeing their value, you as team leader kind of need to motivate them that you still see their value. Um, and that's also... That's also a sense of being self-aware um, is taking your, your team into consideration and, and not just focusing on where can you go ahead in your career, but also where can you take the team? As soon as you start reinvesting in your team, um, the team gets trust and loyalty. Um, and yeah, if you've got a loyal and trustworthy team, like it's endless, you can go anywhere. So you mentioned a few things there about career. You sort of got me thinking about you and your um, aspirations and your ambitions. I mean, you've talked about building teams up. You've talked about your fiance and yourself um, building up one another. And I get the sense that you're sort of quietly ambitious, you know, that you probably set yourself some fairly sort of strict goals that you might feel a bit disappointed if you don't make good progress towards them. So, and, and given that 
the amount you've shared about your curiosity as well. I mean, I'm going to flip this curiosity back onto you. What sort of big hairy goals have you got and how do you plan to make them happen? Um, so this is actually in my career, this is something I've been pondering about um, the last few months is do I want to stay in a technical space or do I want to move a bit more into um, a managing role? Um, and for me currently, I'm very, if I like having something that challenges me um, and I feel currently in a, a bit more in a in a technical space, I'm being challenged. Um, but lately, I've been exposed a bit more in team planning, um, a bit of managing. And working with people has challenges of its own. So my, my goal has, for the past few years, been to improve any process where I'm involved in, um, and also being able to measure it, being able to say, we've, been, we've improved the process or the system by X percent. Um, I'm a very... <laughs> I need to see numbers. Um, I need to be able to say, um, also, just when I gym, I need to be able to say that I've gymmed X days a week to feel like I've accomplished my goal in terms of exercise. Um, but lately, I've started becoming interested in understanding what motivates a team, um, what can be done to invest in a team, to make sure a team stays motivated. So my goal has become, so I turned 28 last, last week, so my goal has, currently is to be in a managing role in the next four, four years. Um, so I've started doing a bit of leadership courses, um, a bit, um, I'm trying to see if I can get more a bit of like business courses just to also climb a bit more in understanding the strategic side um, of a FinTech organization. So that's kind of my goal, my fourth year goal. Okay. I think that's really cool. Um, the fact that you want to, leave a legacy behind like you're you're going to a new role and you set your goal to try and leave it in a better place than which you found it and that you've got some kind of measure that you know you know what the benefit that you've brought I mean I think that's that's pretty dope and then moving on to the other part where you say like well you know you you've sort of done that and you can do that and that's a mindset but knowing that that people are what make makes these things a success is critical. And if you can lead a team of people collectively towards something, then I think you're going to be able to make um, a much bigger impact as a group than achieving anything on your own. Mm. So, so, so lately I've kind of, um, so they say data is the organization's biggest asset. Um, but lately, I agree with that. But lately, I've come to the conclusion that you need a strong team to kind of take care of that data. So I've kind of shifted my, I want to say, my focus a bit more on the people um, than on the data. So for me, currently, it's kind of your, your people are your biggest asset for an organization. Yeah. I'm into so. that. 100%. That's really dope. It's uh, I want to I want to I want to take this in a different direction, um, segue into something else. Um, we uh, like we've obviously spent some time and you know had a bit of a conversation before, and uh, I think you may have mentioned that you were a ballerina at heart or a ballerina at some stage. Um, I, I don't know if you want to give us a little bit of context in that. I mean, everything that we've spoken about just now speaks to perseverance and, you know, sort of, a, I want to say a detailed focus, a, a, 
you know, clear understanding of what you're doing. Uh, I don't know much about ballet, um, but the little I know is that it is crap hard and it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so is, is this something you used to do? Is it, you know, sort of just a general, I'm a ballerina at heart from the, you know, the loving the pink and that sort of thing. Is it something you still do? <laughs> Um, so uh, I think maybe the, the pink is still there. The pink is never going to go away. Um, but no, the, so with, with ballet, what I've actually learned is you you kind of need to, you strive to, I want to say, the, the, the ideal world. So in ballet, you kind of, like you said, it's very hard. But when you dance on stage, you actually need to make it look effortless. Um, you need to make sure your arms and your legs are straight lines when you do the pose because you want to be as elegant as like it's, it's with ballet there's a lot of comparisons with like a swan and if you look at a swan their necks and everything move in a very elegant manner so with ballet I believe I've actually learned to, to be um, always persevere um, if you do not try you'll never know um, and that's kind of I want to say um, also a thing that's helped me in my career so being I want to say a woman in a very male dominating industry um, I've never thought of actually like being a woman in the male industry, but I think it's the fact um, that I've always been like, stay focused. Um, if you do not, if you, if you struggle, just try again. And I think the ballet kind of, I started ballet at the age four. I think like that kind of prepared me just to stay focused and not be distracted by things on the sideline or thinking um, I'm the girl in the team. I'm only supposed to make things pretty. Um, I've, I've always focused on the goal and go for it. Um, yeah, and I I wish I could carry on with ballet. Um, I stopped um, at age 17, so four till 17. Um, but I'm currently at the point I haven't done it in a while. So I would need to start with the younger kids and I would be the oldest one in the in the class. Um, so I still have my point shoes and my, my leotard and everything. I still have nice. it. Nice. Um, okay, still in the cupboard. Yeah. yeah, you used the word perseverance, but I think discipline as well, right? I mean, the mm -hmm. sort of ballet as as a as a sport, as a you know, it, it takes a lot of discipline to do that, and, and particularly your body, right? I mean, your body goes through the mill, and I know a lot of ballerinas get sort of injured for life by by some of the rigor that they have to do. Ah, it must yeah. be a, a, a tough thing. Uh, I, I'm the same as John. I haven't got any experience. I'm quite thankful for that. <laughs> I, I, I've heard a story um, about, I think it was the Springbok rugby team or the English rugby team, I might be mistaken, I'll need to go and look it up, um, where they sort of had a, a go or this at, a, at someone calling them a ballerina. And then the coach challenged them and actually took them to a ballet class and apparently most of them couldn't walk for a week. Um, yeah. So I think, that, I think that says a lot. <laughs> uh, it's great. Yeah, with ballet, you literally, um, my teacher always told me, like, you literally have to anticipate anything and you have to engage every single muscle in your body to be prepared for the unexpected. Um, and in that sense, you have to kind of be, I don't want to say on guard, but you need to be prepared. But also you need to kind of, you have to do it in a very aesthetically appe appealing manner. Um, and I kind of feel like that also helped me with my work um, and just the way you present it. Yeah. You've got to respond gracefully to people rather than saying what's on your mind, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
there's some there's two cool things there there's a there's a nice little segue into the next section but I, I think it would be remiss of me if i don't give a shout out so something you mentioned about um you know being a being a female in a, a, a dominant uh, sort of male dominant space or or industry um we've got a good friend inga davids who's uh, got a, a podcast of her own called her bold story um, so mm -hmm. I'd encourage you and also listeners uh, out there to go and check it out. Um, speaks to just, you know, uh, women's stories in leadership and career empowerment, you know, basically everything in between. Um, nice source of inspiration and, you know, just giving props to to all the special ladies out there. So so check that out. Um, awesome. But but yeah, what you mentioned yeah about, you know, I, th I think these, these sort of I want to call it habits and uh, you mentioned movement which sort of caught my eye there's a nice segue into our next section so he's got we've got a thing on the show called the seated question um, where our guests on the show sort of uh, you know pays forward a question to the next guest on the show so so previously we had the opportunity to chat to Morgan Zer from Hootsuite and uh, and she had a pretty cool question which I think links nicely into this idea of of movement or moments and and you know, those defining things in your life. Um, Morgan's question specifically, I'm going to read it out to you and, uh, and, and we can have a go at it, is uh, we all have moments in our life where a decision sets us down a, a specific path, right? Um, and Morgan's question was, what are some of those moments for you? Oh, um, I think one of one of my this is a very very recent moment um, is when I actually started accepting that um, I don't need to to specialize um, and this is actually something you touched in the very very beginning. Um, John is I, I I sometimes look at myself and feel like I I still need to specialize a bit more. So I've only got an industrial engineering degree and um, I was very very excited to actually step into doing my master's potentially in um, in big data and what is the value of big data and organization. Um, and last year I decided that I'm going to, to stop my master's. And I was very disappointed in myself, but re recently I've kind of accepted myself now and saying, I'm not specialized, but that that is actually what makes me who I am, is actually being able to do so many different things. Um, and if I do need to learn more, I do know where to find that information. So that is like my most recent, I want to say, moment was actually just accepting myself and not being so hard on myself for saying, oh, I didn't do my master's, but actually like celebrating it and saying, but listen, I actually learned that for me, not being specialized is, is my niche, is my, what sets me apart. Yeah. Niches can be um, small traps sometimes. It's sort of you get mm -hmm. stereotyped in a cast or a role and, and yeah, it might be more difficult to, to climb out of that at some point. And um, another thing that Morgan shared with us is that she she doesn't feel that she's actually had a big moment of truth yet, a, a big mm -hmm. failure. Um, and she, she's expecting it. She has no doubt it's going to come, but it's, <laughs> it, it's just not smacked her in the face yet. But um, perhaps in terms of offering the favour back to Morgan, how do you deal with, I mean, you talked about getting acceptance about this decision you made. What brought you around to that point? How do you get through some disappointment? So I, I got to the point where I started realising I'm being very hard on myself. Um, and this was actually, I was doing a leadership course and then also part of the course was accepting who you are. 
Um, and then I kind of realized like, um, I'm actually upset with myself. Um, and then you sometimes behave in a manner, manner that's not you. Um, and then I started questioning, but why, why am I doing this? Why am I that way towards myself? And um, why do I feel inferior to my friends um, who are very, who have studied a very, um, very educated. Um, and I started like self-doubting myself. Um, but you actually, you get to, to the point where you, where you actually tell yourself you're being like unrealistic towards yourself. Um, and also you, you forget to celebrate the small successes you've had in life. Um, those things that actually, when you started getting into, um, into your career that excited you, all of a sudden is not that excited anymore. But why is that? That's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and then if you aren't, excited or happy about yourself you kind of also bring people around you down um so I kind of I kind of picked up a difference in my behavior then I wasn't happy with that and then I kind of I had to make a change um and yeah. literally just starting to accept yourself and just celebrating who you are in a sense um yeah it just yeah, I think that's that that's such that's such a sound attitude to have really um I think here yeah, we can probably all be a bit harsh on ourselves, you know, if we don't achieve that thing that we're trying to achieve or, or perhaps get there at the speed we want to get there. You're having a good chuckle, John. Um, yeah, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we might not get there at the speed. And I think we do, don't we? We forget all of the little successes and all the good stuff um, that we had along the way, which leads me nicely. I mean, let, let's flip this over, right? Let's stop being depressed about um, things we've failed at. And let's start talking about things that we're, we're proud of. Um, I think we all have a little something, a little trait, a little character, a little party trick um, that we're proud of. So what's in your bag? What's your superpower? What's the little thing that you've got that can sort of turn something around? Um, so it's, 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 it's quite interesting that you, you, you're saying this and we have touched it a bit. Um, something that I, that I've picked up in, in my career is that I get away that I, I, I actually, I can read people. Um, and I've, I've got a very, um, detailed eye, um, and ear and, just engaging with stakeholders and understanding their needs. Um, it's, it's very important to listen, listen to the small things that they say, um, things that they typically um, don't always put on the request list, but it's, it's nice to have. Um, so in my, what I've started doing is I would make sure that I meet those demands, but then I also create an extra, uh, like a Jack in the box or a, a extra feature. Um, like just to, say thank you in a sense for being able to work with you so that's kind of my thing is just to add a little bit extra um and i think also the sense of my curiosity brings that in is just trying to understand the person the stakeholder and also making sure that i make sure i meet their demands but also just leave something um which they initially did not expect um and that's also just leaving a bit of a, a legacy Nice. You're really like connecting quite a lot of dots through this conversation because it yeah. gets back to that over delivering. It gets back to <laughs> building a legacy. You know, it's all it's all coming full circle, isn't it? <laughs> Making our job super easy. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Talking about surprises, uh, it sets up the scene nicely, right? <laughs> so, uh, so 
So we've got this uh, we've got this little thing on the show called the Quick Fire M9. Okay. And I know you listen to this show, so you might be familiar with it. But uh, it's really simple, right? So it's uh, it's these nine, well, seemingly straightforward questions. Um, and the rules are are pretty easy. You have to pick mm-hmm. one. So there's you can't pass. You can't have an alternative answer. You can't go back to the data and check. As <laughs> difficult as it might be, <laughs> you have to absolutely just commit to one and, and answer them quickly. Are you? I can't even. I can't even call a friend or nothing like that. Just no, 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 none of that. <laughs> uh, okay. Are yeah. you keen to dig in? All right, let's yeah. give it a go. All right. Good. Good old pale ale or King's Blockhouse IPA. Good old pale ale. Quantitative or qualitative? Qualitative. Texting or talking? Talking. <laughs> Dawn or dusk? Dawn. Pie chart or bar chart? Bar chart. Arsenal or Liverpool? Oh, Liverpool. Project or product? Uh, product. Mountain or sea? Oh, mountain. And then carrot or stick? Uh, let's say carrot. You need that for nice. your team. They won't appreciate the stick. <laughs> yeah. She gave me the stick with that little answer about Liverpool. Oh, such a shame. <laughs> I was just starting to like you. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry, Joe's super happy. Super I can happy see here. I can see this smile. Yeah, yeah, it's very reassuring. You know, I enjoy I treasure these moments. Um <laughs> So, yeah, okay, and and you were so firm on some of those answers, you know, like pie chart or bar chart, and you were like, no, definitely bar, you know. There was like no no hesitation, <laughs> clear affiliation, right? <laughs> clear, right? Um, so so a, cu- a couple of questions back, we had the we had the seeded question from um, Morgan Zerf for you, and it's only fair to allow you the opportunity to pass one on to the next person, really. Um, so we've got uh, Eleanor Stowe, who is on our guest, uh, a guest on our episode next. What question might you have for her? Okay, and so my question is, um, what do you consider to be the most crucial trade for a business analyst? Um, what should you bring to, you, to this table? What makes you, um, what differentiates you? Okay, we will pass that on to to Eleanor. Um, um, it's a good question. I, I look forward to to hearing her answer. Um, <laughs> I'll definitely be listening as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that'd be cool. So um, we're sort of, I mean, we're wrapping up now, really. So it's been a wonderful chat. Uh, as always, we could probably yak for for another hour <laughs> and, and just go down many rabbit holes here. But um, I think it, it's time to wrap this up. So where can people say hello to you or, or follow you to sort of connect and, and uh, hear more of your story? So currently, I um, you can connect me via LinkedIn, um, which is just Heather Swart. Um, but I'm very I'm very keen to start my own blog. Um, so okay. I'm I'm quite keen to engage with you guys after um, after this just a little bit. Um, so yeah, potentially that is something for the future. 
Okay, nice. Well, we will drop um, those couple of links in the show notes if you if you share your blog with us, or we can always add it at a later point, no problem. Um, and with that, I think we, we, we've reached the end. So it just leaves me to say um, much appreciation. Thank you very much for braving this pod with John and I. I know sometimes <laughs> there's a bit of apprehension before coming on these things. Um, we, we, we appreciate everything you've shared with us. Um, and look forward to connecting with you again in future. No, this was really awesome. Thank you so much for having me, really. Yeah, it's been a privilege. Um, look, I, le- I learned so much and uh, it's it was such an interesting conversation and I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the listeners out there is going to enjoy it. And uh, I want to wish you luck. Um, I'm excited for your journey. I'm excited for the new stuff you're digging into. And uh, most of all, we're excited for that blog. So we'll be we'll be keeping an eye out for it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, please pass the pod via Twitter, Instagram, or even sticky notes under the table in a review meeting. Yeah, look, whatever your weapon of choice, tag us with 168FM. That's the words 1, 6, and 8, not the numbers. You can also leave us a comment on the blog, 168.FM. We'd love to hear what you think. We would. Comments are gold. But that's it for now. This episode is a wrap. Until the next time, Jean, do you want the last word? Word. to pick Chelsea so there's actually like a I am recording this will go into the end of the show <laughs> <laughs> no there's there's actually a story behind it so my my brother like you guys know we're very close um so he's Chelsea and he's always uh, been Chelsea uh, nobody knows why but he's always been Chelsea um he even said his first child, if it's a girl, it's going to be Chelsea. So I kind of always felt like I'm obligated to be Chelsea. Um, but then Tarsen and I started dating. He's like Liverpool obsessed. So I kind of, we're getting married. Okay. So I kind of need to fall in line with my wife's duties and support <laughs> nice. Liverpool.